Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. This show's guest is the incredibly talented Jeff Kanata. Jeff is an actor, comedian, podcaster, and a dungeon master as the cherry on top. Jeff is best known in the TTRPG community for his work as the dungeon master of The Dungeon Run, a live D&D stream with a group of other actors. We talked about his nerdy roots that led him to moving behind the screen, what it's like DMing for a live game that has chaotic audience participation, and about the adjustments video game players have to make when trying TTRPGs for the first time. Enjoy! I'm Jeff Kanata. I am the Dungeon Master for an actual play show called The Dungeon Run, which is on twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time. We're also on YouTube and as an audio podcast. And I've done a whole bunch of things on the internet for many, many years. <laughs> uh, I do a, a lot of shows. I do a video game show and a movie show and a, a science comedy show, a football show. I I've been uh, I've been doing a lot of internet things for quite a long time, but the Dungeon Run started um, uh, only about two plus years ago. Uh, we were on a, uh, a platform called Caffeine, and now we have moved and taken the show over ourselves and are streaming on Twitch on Wednesday nights. I'm, it's a show I'm very very proud of, so I'm excited to be here to talk about it. Yeah, and it is very unique, and yeah, we'll definitely dig into what makes it so special here in a bit. Cool. As far as your TTRPG journey. How did you get started in tabletop role-playing games? You know, what what kinds of games have you played before? What are some of your favorites? Well, I was a nerd back when nerd meant nerd, I like to say, and grew up completely obsessed with comic books and fantasy novels and sci-fi and all the stuff that a nerd was into in the 80s, I was into. And uh, my very first job when I was 14 years old was writing computer game reviews for the newspaper back when they were newspapers. And um, so, you know, I was obsessed with all that kind of stuff, but I was such a nerd that I didn't have, literally didn't have enough friends to play Dungeons and Dragons with. I, I didn't have any friends. So that's why I got so into computer games because I could play them by myself. But I always loved the idea of them and was obsessed with the covers and would read about them and stuff. But I never played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. I didn't really play any tabletop role-playing game as a kid. But I loved board games and got heavily into European style hobby board games, designer board games in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. And when I, I mean, I didn't even know my whole life history, but I moved to Los Angeles to become an actor and, and did a lot of work that way. And then became friends with a couple of guys, uh, Alex Albrecht and Dan Trachtenberg, uh, with whom I started the Totally Rad Show, which was one of the very first uh, internet video shows in 2006, 2007. And the way we met as adults was we all had a common friend who had also never played Dungeons and Dragons. And he put out the call for people to play. He got, he got an experienced DM and organized a group of adult guys who had never played before. And yeah. I was just sort of a friend of a friend and met all those guys. You know, I knew only one of them and met the rest of them. And it was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the G4 network, but it was uh, a bunch of guys that worked at the G4 network. And we actually played in the offices of the G4 network in Los Angeles and uh, had a great time, became fast friends, and then started our own web show, the Totally Red Show, uh, and became really good buddies. 
so that was the first time I'd actually played Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, I was well in, into being an adult and had yeah. always wanted to play and uh, became buddies. And then from there, we all became really good friends, did the show and wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons more and weren't super close with the guy who, who was the DM or, or you know, he, he had scheduling stuff. I can't remember exactly what it was, but basically we wanted to play more often than we were able to. And so it, it was like, well, who could, who could be our DM? And I it, somehow, I don't think I volunteered. I think I was volunteered yep. <laughs> by everybody yep. else. Everybody turned to me and went, Jeff could do it. So <laughs> I did and ended up really loving that process. And so became sort of the, the de facto dungeon master for my group of buddies, uh, of which Alex and Dan and, and others were a part. And we did that for years off and on, you know, great big periods of time where we didn't play, you know, and then we would play again. And you know, off and on, but, but fairly consistently. And then Alex is a producer and a creator in Los Angeles, and he got hired by Caffeine to be the head of production for them for their original programming. I mean, back in the early 2000s, we had talked about wanting to do a Dungeons & Dragons show, which sounds quaint and obvious now, but no one had done that, right? There was no critical role. Nope. There was no, nobody did that. And we talked about what, how we would maybe be able to do it. And like part of it would be animated. And we actually made up a whole pitch deck and animated some short segments and did a whole thing. And it's hard for people to remember now, but back then internet content, everybody thought internet content had to be short. Like people are like two and a half minutes, five minutes tops. And we're like, we want to play Dungeons and Dragons. It'll take hours. And everybody was like, yeah. there's no universe where we're paying you to do that. Uh, so Alex actually made a show called Project Lore which was people playing video games, was people playing World of Warcraft, which also, there was no Twitch. <laughs> there was no people doing yeah. that. Like he was the first person to kind of do that. So anyway, I'm not saying that to pat my own back, but we were just a little ahead of our time on all that stuff. But then it all came around when he became head of uh, original programming for Caffeine a few years ago. And he was like, you know, we talked about this way back when, I've always wanted to do it. Now I actually have the power to make it happen myself. And also can point to Critical Role and all these other success stories, you know, Acquisitions Incorporated and the McElroy brothers and all, all this stuff that we all know. And so he had budget to make it. And he said, well, I want to do it the way we always dreamed we could do it, like the best version of it, where we have a full television studio and a full television crew. And we have props and Hollywood prop masters creating the sets we play on and the and the minis that we play with. And, and so he actually convinced Caffeine to, to give him a huge budget. And we got to make the dungeon run as this dream project, hire actors and not just, you know, use our friends. And he came to me and he was like, you're my DM. You've been DMing, DMing for me, you know, for years. I want you to be the, the guy who creates the world that we're playing in and be the DM for the show. And at the time he was like, it's going to be 10 episodes and that's it. You know, that's all we have the budget for. And I was like, I can do that. I was like, I, I've never really created a, you know, a show about this stuff. And he's like, don't mm. worry about it. Just use like an old campaign that you ran with us. It'll be fine. And so I did. I repurposed a campaign that I had run with those guys. And if I had known that we would be here on episode 87 and still going, I would, I would been, have been terrified. I would never have taken the job. <laughs> Yeah. But he said, you know, let's do 10. And I said, yes. And then episode three, he came to me and he goes, we're doing more than 10. Uh, the, the network loves it. And, uh, and I, by that point, I'd, I had completely fallen in love with the process and fallen in love with the cast and was super excited to keep going. And was like, I, dude, I have more ideas than 10 episodes can fit. 
So, you know, now we're like episode 87 and, and still going. A lot of questions from that. First of all, when you planned from the beginning, your prep was for a 10 episode arc. Right. And I very much wanted it to be, our pitch was that it was going to be like a, a movie. We wanted it to mm. feel like Guardians of the Galaxy. That was our idea. It was that we were going to create this campaign. It has a beginning, a middle, and end. Most tabletop role-playing game, I mean, I don't, there are a lot of excellent shows. I'm not casting shade on anybody, but most mm -hmm. of them, uh, I, in my experience, have been a series of uh, short stories, right? It's a series of interlocking, and that's really what long-running D&D campaigns tend to be, because it's yep. really hard to have one big, long story arc over multiple years. But I wanted it to feel like a movie. I wanted it to feel like a beginning, a middle, and end, and every scene was essential, and we didn't meander, and we didn't go off and do side quests. Like, there are no side quests. It's just one big epic story. And that's what I wanted to do over 10 episodes. And then when we found out we had more, I was like, I really think I can expand this and still keep that idea intact. And so far we have, you know, we're episode 87 and it's still one big cohesive story. And, and I'm, I'm really proud of what we're telling actually. Were the actors also told then it was just 10 episodes. Yeah. And so they didn't, they didn't, I, I'm not that they didn't work hard on their backstories. Cause I know they, spent a lot of time and figured out how they would kind of work together. But everyone was kind of like, all right, it's it's going a lot longer than we expected. And, and they were all good with it. After the first couple of episodes, everyone wanted the show to keep going. We all, we all knew we had something special right away. It was six, including myself, six strangers that had never met. It was, we cast the show here in Los Angeles like we were casting a TV show. We got it, mm -hmm. actors in, we brought them in to do table reads. We brought them in to do uh, chemistry tests. We had a casting director, a Hollywood casting director. And so it was cast like a television show and their contract was for 10 episodes. But I think after the first couple of sessions, everybody knew that something real special was being created. And so I think everyone was thrilled that we got to keep going. And, and now after Caffeine you know, changed their direction and, and they've become a network that's all about rap battles, <laughs> They released us and we got the rights to the show and are now producing it on our, on our own. And so the actors and myself now are in charge of the ship. So, you know, when they, when they decided they weren't going to continue the show, we all really were passionate about wanting to keep it going. So now it's ours. You know, it's these, these six people who didn't know each other now are not only uh, very, very good friends, but business partners as well, creating this show and moving it forward. Your spinoff has been quite successful, as far as I can tell, too. I was checking some Twitch stats the other day, and you're top 20 in most Dungeons & Dragons categories, so competing with, with those big shows you mentioned earlier. Yeah, thanks. I think we have a lot of room to grow. I mean, Caffeine was very kind to us, and I'm super happy with everything that we did there and all the support that they gave us. I'm very grateful for it. But I also think that there's an opportunity now having moved to Twitch to even expand the audience a, a lot more because I think it was people finding us on on caffeine was was not as easy as it might be to find us on Twitch. So sky's the limit for where the show can go, I think. Yeah, I believe I found it just searching for podcasts. So I think it was probably Spotify or something initially yeah. and then found or and then while listening, realized, oh, this is actually live too. But yeah. There's a couple of very unique parts about the show I wanted to touch on too. So first of all, the facilitated audience participation. I know that Twitch has popularized this, so a lot of these streamed shows now are doing something similar, but talk to me about how that was decided and kind of how it's affected your ability to run a cohesive story with all of this chaos happening all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, that was really a mandate from caffeine, right? The, the whole reason that they wanted to do our show and any show was mm -hmm. to prove the capabilities of their platform. And one of the real selling points of the caffeine platform is that it's real time. It's instantaneous. There's no lag. There's no delay between what the audience is seeing and what the creators are creating. So they said, you know, in order for us to make the show, you have to have real-time audience interaction. And I will be honest, at first I was a little wary of messing with the balance of the D&D rule set, because very much what we are doing is futzing with, uh, basically letting the audience break the rules of the game. That's what we get to, you know, the audience gets to jump in and break the rules of our game. And yep. I was very worried about that, frankly. I, I thought it might hurt the storytelling, it might make the show sort of gimmicky and, and less grounded, less realistic, less, less fun. But what we found very, very quickly was that it made the show way better. And I have loved that. It's much more difficult, <laughs> as you <laughs> kind of indicated, because there's a yes. lot going on and a lot of chaos. So there's a lot on my plate as the Dungeon Master to sort of keep in my head. And, and I'm not always 100% on all that. Uh, sometimes I, um, I wish I, I did a better job, but for the most part, it's really cool how much creativity and input the audience can have. And some of my favorite moments in the entire show have been, gr have grown out of things the audience did, the, the thumb on the scale that the audience put, or some crazy idea that the audience in interjected into the show that I didn't plan, but that made for just a, an amazing, beautiful role-playing moment. Just for the listeners, so part of the show is there is an amulet the party is carrying with them that is an amulet of the Watchers of the Time Stream. That's the kind of the the name of the audience in in this uh, kind of the meta reference to them. And so the audience can then participate by giving the team boons or banes. Basically, they they can add, you know grant advantage or disadvantage on rolls. And then there's a whole piece where they can write their own thing that happens. So there's some randomness, but like you said, there's also a lot of really interesting storytelling that happens because those things, you know, are, are put on your plate. There have been huge turns of the fate of the heroes of the story uh, because the audience made their voice heard and they really are a sixth player at our table. It's it's pretty amazing. And, and it, the support that we've gotten from the audience is incredible. But I think it's a really special kind of relationship that we have, too, because they have a big, big part in how this tale is being told. Yeah, I, I love that part of it. And I love that whenever something happens like that, usually the, the players are thanking the audience and it just, it adds to the energy of feeling like you're at the table with people and, and watching it all unfold. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's our goal. So I'm glad to hear that. This was your first attempt at a streamed game like this then. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like I said, I would never have taken the job if I had known it was going to have <laughs> pushing 100 episodes. I would have been completely overwhelmed by the enormity of that idea. So it's good that we started small and, and let the thing grow in the telling. Like I said, I, I, I always say it's a story that grew in the telling, which is not a, uh, mm -hmm. not a phrase I coined, but one I like. You alluded to the fact that within a few episodes, you realized that it was going to become a lot bigger than you had originally envisioned and that it was scoped for. What things did you learn within those first few episodes that changed the way you ran things for the future that made things run a lot more smoothly or, or more engaging, you know, that kind of thing? Oh my gosh, how long do we have? Uh, I learned <laughs> so much, so much in the first few episodes. 
You know, a lot of it was the pace that I knew we would have to hit in order to get finished in 10 episodes was kind of untenable. And those first few episodes, like so much happens and I'm really pushing the players to keep the show moving forward. I like a show that has momentum, right? There's a lot of role-playing games where everybody just sits around and talks about what they're gonna do. And we have episodes like that too. Right. But I, I like the fact that our show really does feel almost like a TV show and that every scene feels essential uh, and it isn't wasted time. But I think I learned in the first few episodes that letting the players figure it out, you know, meander a bit, it, it's okay, it's fun. It's, it's, it's useful for the audience to be inside that deduction process and, the, and the, the figuring out the strategic discussion. And so it was really a blessing to say, okay, well, we don't have to get this all done in 10 episodes. We have, you know, we have much more time to let the, let the story breathe a little bit and let our characters breathe and talk amongst themselves and not have to like constantly be pushing everything forward. You know, the first, I don't know, however many episodes, 20 or so, everything is like the, the characters going through portals and now they're in a new place and going through portals and now they're in a new place. It's because I wanted to like cut out all of that interim traveling stuff. I just wanted to like, let's get to the next place we need to be because it felt like we had to push, push, push. But once mm -hmm. we realized we had the luxury of time, you know, some of the best episodes have been the travel episodes, the episodes where the, where the players just kind of get to dig into their characters and find out more and... I'm very proud of the fact that our show has something interesting happen or multiple interesting things happen every episode. I think our show does feel like a television show uh, and that's very much intentional that there's something, something really compelling that happens every single session. But letting it breathe a little bit more was, was such a relief and so welcome, I think. All right. Any other things to mention about the, the dungeon run or, or stuff like that before we kind of pivot to, to your personal DMing experience? I think our show is really special. And I think it's because we managed to get five players who are excellent, excellent role players. They're actors and the characters that they brought to the table are all three-dimensional, interesting. The audience cares about them. They come to things organically. They really buy into the world that I create and deepen it. And I'm just so lucky to be working with such great artists. You know, a lot of tabletop live play shows, it's a bunch of pre-existing friends. That's great. And there's a really wonderful um, familiarity that is brought to the table, literally, from that. But I think it's really cool that the audience got to be with us as both the characters in the game and the players grew to know each other and became friends in real time. It's you get to watch that process over the course of the hours that we've played. It's it's something really, really cool and unique, I think. Yeah, it's been fun to, even on social media, watch the the players get closer and closer together and start spending yeah. more time together and that kind of thing, too. Yeah, we've all yeah. really genuinely become friends. And it we, we cast great actors, but also really great people, which is great. And now a word from our sponsor. If you've been thinking about getting into the podcasting game, but don't have a large budget or a ton of industry expertise already, Anchor.fm is a great place to get started. Why use Anchor? It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can start monetizing your show immediately with no minimum audience size or reach. Anchor really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. 
download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's get back to the show. Let's pivot to kind of your personal experience. Uh, You mentioned the first game you ran was with a bunch of friends who, after you lost your dungeon master, said, all right, you're the DM. So do you remember that first experience, what it was like, you know, what went well, what didn't? The first few sessions all sort of run into each other, I think, in my mind. But it was interesting because the buddies that I played with in my home game, they were all video gamers first. And I think yeah. the, the interesting growing pain that we had as a, as a group playing D&D was in breaking away from the constraints that video games put on you. I think my friends, my group, approached D&D the way they approached a video game. The video game is, is asking of me something. And I, my job is to give it to the video game, right? There's a quest. Yeah. I get the quest. How do I complete the quest? And I think the challenge was, I kept saying to them, hey, guys, you can do anything. You can do anything. You're not constrained by your skills. You're not constrained by you know, the, your magic spell list. You know, what do you want to do? You want to leap up and grab the rafters and swing around? Go for it. Don't think of this as having rules. Like, let your imagination go wild because that's what's special about this. And that took a long time surprisingly, to really realize that the magic of tabletop is the fact that our imagination has no limits. There's no rules. The the computer isn't going to say, oh, you can't walk through that door. That door is just decoration. You can't walk through that door. You want to walk through that door? My job as the DM is to explain what happens beyond it. Once we kind of locked into that, I think we had a lot more fun, but it was a little bit of a little bit of growing pains there. That's something none of my other guests have mentioned before, but now that you're talking about it, I was the same, right? I had played video games even, you know, as a kid before I ever got into TTRPGs. But I don't, I don't know if I felt that same block, but I, I can definitely see how it would be that way for people who are brand new just trying to get into something like this. You have to know your group that you're playing with, right? Because yeah. I don't think that's necessarily an invitation to just ruin things. You know, it's not an invitation to just yeah. like do the, the dumb thing that wouldn't make sense in the moment because you can. There can be a fun in that, too. And if your group is if your game is silly and that's silly, then w- wonderful. You know, I, yeah. I DM'd my buddy's um, bachelor party uh, like that's what he wanted to do for his bachelor party was have a D&D session. And I came up with this goofy quest uh, that was all like a metaphor for marriage and stuff. And it was really funny and fun. And a lot nice. of that wackiness was welcome and we all did that stuff. So there's a time and place, but I think like knowing the tone of your game is important, but within those, within whatever the tone that you've set, having the the ability, the the liberty to do anything in any any given moment that is appropriate to your character, I think that's the magic of D&D for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not a license to to burn down the the orphanage or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, but, some but, people take it like that, and I, it's unfortunate that games can get, you know, you have to know who you're playing with, or or at least respect who you're playing with to understand if somebody is there, you know, doesn't want to play that way. Like, it's not cool to just be the chaotic. <laughs> I mean, unless your character's, you know, got the chaotic yeah. alignment, I suppose. But. Yeah, it's true. That's why knowing what kind of game everyone wants to play before you start playing is is really important. But that's a a concept for a different episode. (laughs) Yeah. 
in your experiences behind the screen, what are some of the worst mistakes you have made that kind of stick out in your mind? And what are the lessons that you learned from them? Wow, that's a great question. A lot. It's interesting because the mistakes in playing with it with a home game in, in a home game are very different than the mistakes playing for an audience. The dungeon run is this weird hybrid between a game and a show, right? It, it, it is a game and we are playing a game, but also we're creating a, a narrative for an audience. It's a very different set of circumstances and uh, the, the mistakes are very different. You know, I would say that the mistakes that I made in the first few episodes of the dungeon run, like in my home game, I really don't care about the rules. I really don't. As long as we're all cool about it and everybody understands, you know, if we want to look it up and argue about a rule, that's cool. But ultimately, I'm not going to be a stickler for the rules. In front of an audience, in front of thousands of people that are going to watch your show, you kind of have to be a little bit more respectful or at least create an understanding of what's expected right away. And in the first yep. couple of episodes, like I made some, in retrospect, dumb calls that I wish I could take back because when people start watching the show and they're like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like, no, but okay, I, it, whatever. Oh, man. So that that yeah. grinds me because like people are like, oh, I've heard this show is amazing. People are talking about how great this show is. And then they start with episode one or two and there's like a couple of things and it's like one or two things in those episodes was like, I just want to edit that out because I wish I hadn't said it because everybody's like, actually in the player's handbook, it says, and I'm like, I... Yes, you're right. You are right. But I don't care. But whatever. I should have cared. So that that grinds me. I think ultimately, for me, the mistakes almost always come down to I didn't have enough preparation in one area or not. You know, uh, I think the the joy and also misery of being a dungeon master is that you can always do more preparation. There's always more you could be thinking through. It is a bottomless pit of potential. And I think on an infinite timeline, the show could get infinitely better. I, if I had infinite amount of time to spend on, an, on one session, that, show, that session would get infinitely better. There's no end point where I'm like, my prep would not make the show any better. Just that's impossible. You can always deepen, think through, come up with more detail, you could always make a session better. And for me, whenever I feel like I've made a mistake, it's like, I, I, in retrospect, I'll be like, if I, I, hadn't, I didn't think that through well enough, I could have made a connection there that would have been even cooler, or I wish I hadn't have revealed that that way, or when the player said that thing and I wasn't prepared for it, I zigged and I should have zagged. So all of those, you know, eat me up inside sometimes. And they all come down to like, ah, if I just had like three more hours... I would have thought that through or I would have, but I, you know, also the, some of the joy is in the moment, coming up with stuff in the moment. And some of the, my favorite things that would have happened in the show are the things that I didn't predict and couldn't have foreseen. But yep. I also, you know, also want to make a distinction between preparation being anticipating what will happen and just being so prepared that you are ready for anything to happen. I think there's a distinction there. And for me, the preparation is always, deepening the world, strengthening the connection between every NPC, why they're there, what's there, how the world is structured, what's behind every nook and cranny, when you can always make your world more detailed. You can always make it more detailed. And that detail comes in handy when the unpredictable happens and a player asks you some question that 
you didn't anticipate them asking or wants to go some direction that you didn't think they would go. But if your preparation goes, okay, through the door that I didn't want you to go through, I know what's there, even though we weren't going to go there. It, yep. It's helpful, or at least not even I knew what was there, but I know enough about my world to in the moment decide what's there because it's consistent with all of the other things that I've thought through. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something that I am continually learning is at least having thought about how things relate will get you a better answer than just trying to make it up on the fly and then retroactively saying, that doesn't make any sense or I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> right. I know in my very first game, it was it was just like a homebrew, like two or three session kind of little thing. I made a slip up where I revealed that the villain was in fact a female and there were like three females they had met and only one that would have been suspicious and they're all like oh so it's so and so and i'm like i just screwed up the whole thing because i let that slip yeah Yeah. and it's exactly like that right like if i had just thought a little bit more about how i was going to describe things or or whatever i wouldn't have made that slip i wouldn't have ruined it luckily it was my first session so it's not a big deal and it's way in the past but (laughs) that's what sticks out in my mind when you're talking about, about that yeah yeah, yeah. And and it is it is a, a bottomless pit of you could always think through more things and always make more detail and more connection, more, you know, be more prepared. Uh and that, like I said, is this double-edged sword of like, I love that because it lets me have this wonderful creative mind space that I'm in every single day. I I can always tap into that place and go, oh, I have a an hour and I can just think about my game world and oh wow mm-hmm. oh yeah oh cool I love that I'll go for a run and I don't I used to listen to stuff when I was on a run you know like a podcast or whatever not anymore I go for a run and I'm just like in my headspace thinking about the world that I'm creating and what can I do to and it's such a joy and then the other edge of that sword is that it's just you never feel like you're prepared on the day it's just like there's more yep. I could have done there's more I could have done yeah conversely too if you do too much prep, I don't know, like, like there is always more you can do, but also at what point is the prep you're doing not going to ever be seen by the players? (laughs) And so like, it's always a delicate balance you got to find, right? Yeah. 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 That's funny. You mentioned not listening to podcasts when I'm driving home from work on specific days. If I have a session coming, then I, I will turn off the music and the podcast and I'll, I'll do the same thing. Be thinking about, Ooh, I should do this. Ooh, this, yeah. this should, this would be fun. So it's such a pleasurable yeah. thing. I, I find mm-hmm. so much pleasure in that, that, that like just imagination time, you know, it's great. What are some of your favorite moments from behind the screen? It could be part of the dungeon run. It could be part of home games that you've run. You know, what are some of the, the best moments that stick out in your mind? Oh, I'm very proud of, of a lot of moments. I'm very proud of, narrative turns that have, have taken place that the uh, players didn't see coming or the audience didn't see coming and blow, blew their mind and oh my god um, i'm really proud of those moments that just happen in real time and you just leap in with both feet and you go okay i mean there's one that comes to mind from the show mm-hmm. that I've, I've referenced a few times where a, a player we were in a, a city and a player turned to me and said is there a temple in town and I said, yes, even though I had no idea if there, I had not thought about a temple. I had not thought about the pantheon of gods in our world. Like just <laughs> didn't, none of the players had were classes that needed to have gods. So I didn't think about gods. 
And um, he goes, is there a temple in town? And I just went, yes. And he said, well, I want to go to it. And I went, okay. Not knowing anything about what was going to happen. No idea. And I didn't know. And then he walks over, you know, walks to the temple and he goes, what is the, what does it look like? What is the, you know, what is the symbol of the God? Uh, Making it up. Yes. And it, it turned into this beautiful scene where he went to this priest and he asked for advice. And we had this beautiful scene of role-playing in this temple that I didn't have, uh, didn't see coming. You know, I, I'm sure you've had this experience too, where you say something and you don't know why you said it, but later on you realize it's a setup for something and you didn't know at the time it was a setup for something. It like beautifully set up this other moment. It's just serendipity that it, that it did that. It's just sort of the magic of improvisation that sometimes your brain goes, oh, here's a thing and you go i don't know where that came from but i'm it's i'm going with it and then later on you go oh my god that's the perfect setup for this other thing that i had planned and that's one of those times where you know this character ended up being this beautiful setup for another whole thing that i was planning and so you know it's those kind of moments where whatever that magic is that ephemeral you know magic of tabletop improv of just jumping in with both feet comes together i love that stuff it's just it feels yeah, so great it does it's the self alley-oop it's the liz lemon <laughs> self high five exactly yeah yeah it's the self alley-oop i love that phrase that's great we're, we're kind of winding down here to the end so what are some of your parting words of wisdom for new and experienced dms out there wow um i would say you know one of the things i always come to is don't let the rules intimidate you or bully you in any way. Uh, They're there to facilitate fun. Fun is paramount. I believe very much in the rule of cool. Everything in the book can be thrown out. You are there to tell a story. You are there to have a good time with the people that you're playing with. I think that the DM is the facilitator of fun. I think that is the role of the DM. I don't believe that the DM is there to be an impediment. I mean, you're there to provide challenge but you're not too there to be a challenge. You're not there to be an antagonist. You are there to hand in hand with the players at the table, create incredible, memorable experiences. So if a rule gets in the way of that, throw the rule out, who cares? I I think any person that wants to try their hand at DMing and thinks there's too many rules, there's really, there's only very few rules you need to know to DM. You know, there's very, very few rules. That single page uh, PDF that, Wizards of the Coast puts out for free is all you need. Everything mm-hmm. else is just detail and, and can be looked up in the moment or ignored completely. You know, it's it's all about creating cool moments in, in real time. So I, I'm a I'm a firm believer in the rule of cool and creating a story is about making people look good, you know, making people feel awesome. And sometimes that means, you know, not following the rules completely. Well, other advice. I would say, you know, I think having conversations with your players and and being open with them about you know the their goals your goals what what they're hoping for out of the session what's okay and what's not okay i think that's useful as well and making sure everybody's yeah. on the same page and you're trying to get out of it what everybody else is trying to get out of it so you know you know what's okay and what's not okay cuz when you're role playing sometimes things can get to love scenes you can get to anger scenes and and if you're in this this uh, fantasy world, this this fiction, 
sometimes people can not know where the line is. And I think all of that is useful to establish beforehand so that everybody kind of knows what's, what's good and what's not. I guess those are the big ones. Both very important. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, I think uh, my game went from good to great when I realized that involving players in what their, what their goals were and allowing them to help in the world building yeah, you know that that just like took it to another level and and made it yeah. way more fun for everybody. Absolutely, I mean I, that's another thing about DMing is that listen, listening is so important, man. Because your players will give you awesome ideas. They will give you awesome ideas. They have ideas, and so you know when I first started DMing, I thought, oh, I got to come up with a solution to everything. All you have to do is make sure there is a solution. You don't have to come up with a solution. You just have to make sure there's a solution possible because most of the time your players will come up with way better solutions than you will. You just have to know, you just have to be able to recognize when they've come up with a great idea. And then it makes you seem awesome because they think that was the, the solution the whole time. Um, you know, it, yeah, it, don't it, tell it, the players. <laughs> yeah, you don't reveal that they came up with that and you blew your mind, you know? Uh, I'd be like, yes, and yes, that's exactly what it was supposed to be the whole time. Yeah. So your your, your players will uh, will astound you and let them. Like, it's that's everybody has a good time when that happens. That's kind of like the alley-oop to the players is is when you just yeah. put scenarios in front of them and see what they do. So right. love it. Yeah. You just have to make sure it's not unsolvable. As long as there is a solution, you know, they will likely come up with something you could never anticipate. Any other projects that you have to plug here, uh, including I know that there have been a couple of one shots and a couple of kind of mini games. And then where can people find your work and yourself on the Internet? Well, I do a, a lot of shows, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, I have a video yeah. game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Talking about video games, been long running show, been going for eight years. I have a movie and TV podcast that's been going 15 years. That's the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. I do a, uh, a streaming football show called uh, Fan Controlled Show. You can find that at twitch.tv slash FCF on Thursdays at three o'clock. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And then the Dungeon Run, of course, you can find that as a podcast, anywhere you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run or on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there, or on Twitch on uh, uh, Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time, uh, twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Uh, our main story is taking two weeks off. I don't know when this is coming out, but our main story is taking two weeks off, and we're doing a two-shot with some special guests. Really, sounds really cool. Uh, one of our players is DMing in my stead, and they're doing something called the, the Festival of Sapphire Lights. It sounds really cool. Well... Thanks so much for joining me, Jeff. It's been a lot of fun. Like I said, I've been listening to your show and, and watching it for a while now. So Thanks. you're kind of one of the first people I've had on that I was a fan of before I uh, started the show. Hey, my pleasure. I really appreciate you watching the show. Hopefully some folks will check it out. I'm, like I said, I'm really proud of it. I think it's I think it's one of the best things I've ever done in my career. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people uh, give it a shot. Thanks for listening to How Not to DM. A couple of quick announcements and then we'll get to our featured DM War Story of the Week. If you have any questions for past guests on my show, join my Discord server. It's a great place to start a conversation about running the game with a lot of knowledgeable people. 
For 10% off your next Impulse Dice purchase, visit adventuredice.ca and use my code HN, the number 2, DM at checkout. They're based in Canada, so take advantage of the great exchange rate if you're from the States. Links to Adventure Dice and Discord are in the episode notes. Also, I've recently delved into D&D TikTok. You can find me there under at HN, the number 2, DM. Let's get to our DM war story. These stories were submitted by Blue Streak. That's at Blue Streak BTHR on Twitter. The story goes, Best, running a 3.5 mod of Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Party cleric player was a backseat DM, near eidetic memory of the DMG and PHB. The party hears a story of a haunted watermill near town, possible loot, glory, etc. Six player party face to face with the inhabitant. A D6 to pick who gets attacked. Cleric's number turns up. Death by ray of disintegration. I kind of enjoyed that moment. Worst. Current 5e campaign. Party is exploring a tomb. Kenku Bard decides to explore a hole for shinies. She dropped down to the hole to meet a wraith. The wraith got the first attack. It critted. Life drain took her down to exactly zero hit points. I was crushed. I hate when PCs die. Still feel bad about it. That's funny, Blue Streak, because in the previous story... You just mentioned killing a player and enjoying it. But, you know, I, I get where you were coming from. I want to bring up something that you did in that first story where you were rolling a d6 to see who gets attacked. I actually really enjoy this tactic when playing monsters that are kind of chaotic or I don't want to make it seem like I'm attacking one player in particular. I love to roll a dice to see who it attacks and that way it's obvious to the party that I am not trying to single out one of them for some reason specifically, unless of course the monsters that I'm using or the opponents that I'm using are smart enough to kind of have those kind of tactics. But either way, great stories Blue Streak, thanks for the submission. If you made it this far, congrats, that means you really like the show. Please consider following or subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser to help other people find the show. As always, my intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape. Check out his Spotify for awesome house music. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me. <laughs>